We're turning tonight in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. We want to read at verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet with you tonight. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your word that you've given us. For your spirit that teaches it to us. We pray that you would help us to see from these verses tonight and the passages that we'll look at, the things that we need to see to help us in our walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, for a few minutes, we want to talk about the simplicity of life. The simplicity of life. We don't view life that way. We view life as being very complicated, but it's not. And we want to see that tonight in a single word, the word one. Things don't get any simpler than when you have just one thing to deal with. We're familiar with the account here. It's the account of the rich young ruler. That's the name that has been given to him. We aren't told what his name was. He was a real person. We just know him as the rich young ruler. And it's, I suspect, based on the fact that Matthew tells us that he's young. And each of the gospel writers tell us that he was rich. So that's how we know him. I think many times the Lord does not name people um, in, in... some of these accounts. And perhaps the reason is is because they're representative people. They're not only real people, but they're representative people. They're representative of you and me. And so we can put our name where there is no name in these kinds of accounts. As we see in verse 17, this young man comes running to the Lord Jesus and he kneels to him. And he he addresses the Lord in a very respectful way. He says, good master, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said unto him, verse 18, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. Here's the first simple truth of life. We are not good. The first simple truth of life is there is none good but one. That is God. That makes life simple. Because it takes away all of our views and opinions as to what goodness is and who it is that is good. That statement takes away any goodness that we might claim to have. There is none good but one. That is God. David wrote in Psalm 14 and verse 1, There is none that doeth good. Paul quotes from Psalm 14 over in the book of Romans. Psalm 14 and verse 1, There is none that doeth good. In verse 3, David said, They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. And then he says this, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So the first simplicity of life is that goodness can only be found in one person. Isn't that wonderful? Just one person. And that person is God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that eliminates looking for goodness in ourselves or looking for goodness in the people around us. That is simplicity. And it's only found in Christ. In verse 19, the Lord Jesus goes on to say, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. The Lord lists... Six commandments here. Commandments 5 through 10 that are concerned with our dealings with our fellow man. And you can kind of put yourself in his position as the Lord um, says to him, you know the commandments and what the Lord is saying is, okay, you know the commandments, have you kept them? And this young man does not say, well, let me think for just a minute. Or, could you give me a few minutes? Could I come back tomorrow? He says, without hesitation, in verse 20, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. That's an amazing statement, if you think about it. This man says he's never committed adultery. But had he ever looked on a woman to lust after her? If he had, the Lord said he had committed adultery already with her in his heart. He said he'd never killed anyone. But was there anyone in his life that he hated or ever hated? God says that whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. This man said that he had never stolen anything. But had he robbed God in tithes and offerings? He said he'd never told a lie. But how can that be when the first characteristic of his heart and our heart is deceit? 
He said that he never coveted. And yet the Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 that covetousness, the greedy desire to have more, is in our hearts. He said that he had honored his father and mother. But was he like the Pharisees and those with great wealth that followed a tradition called Corban? And what that tradition did is allow a son to designate his wealth as something that was dedicated to God. And so by doing that, he could claim that his assets, his money, his possessions were unavailable to help his parents in any way. And so it allowed him to do nothing for his father or his mother. And the Lord Jesus said that practice made the word of God of none effect. That practice broke the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. So his words in verse 20 are amazing when you stop and think about it. But what this young man was really saying to the Lord Jesus is, I'm good. I am good. And since there is none good but God, was he not saying, in effect, that he was as God? And so all he wanted the Lord to do, really, is to pat him on the back, tell him that he was fine, clothed in all of his religion, and to go on his way. But we don't need to look down our nose at this young man. This is why we don't have his name in here, because we can put our name in here. This is how we think by nature. We're good. We're good. We're full of relative righteousness. I thank God that I'm not like this person and that person. There are millions of people in church every week who believe exactly what this young man believed. They've kept the law. They've never committed the act of adultery or the act of murder. They've never physically stolen anything. Um stealing time at work or stealing an idea from a co-worker and claiming it as their own, that, that doesn't really count. They don't lie. Well, other than maybe a little white lie every now and then. They honor their father and mother. Even though they have very little to do with them. And they come to church every Sunday morning and they're there to flaunt their goodness and ask the Lord kind of rhetorically, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I know I've done plenty, but what do you say I should do? And what they expect the Lord to say is what this young man expected the Lord to say. There's nothing else you need to do. You're good. Go on with your life. Go on with your way. But that's not what the Lord told this young man. Notice his reaction in verse 21. It's not disgust. The Lord is not repulsed by this young man. Just as he's not 
repulsed by you and me in our sin. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Those are grand words. Those are grand words. Because we can put our name there where that him is. Then Jesus, beholding me, then Jesus, beholding you, loved me, loved you. And the Lord said unto him, One thing thou lackest, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. One thing thou lackest. Here's the second one in these verses. Here's the second simplicity of life. One thing thou lackest. Not ten or twenty or fifty or a hundred. Just one thing. Doesn't get any simpler than that. You see, this young man thought that he had observed the law. The truth is, he'd broken the law. He'd broken the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There was something between. One thing, interestingly enough, between this young man's soul and the Savior. It was himself. What what was behind his great possessions was his life. His life. That's what he didn't want to give up. And because of that, he could not have the one thing that he lacked. Because he would not give up the one thing between himself and the Lord. Because he would not give himself up. Then he could not have the one thing that he lacked. And that was the Lord Jesus. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If any man will come after me, outwardly this is what this young man appeared to be doing. He came running to the Lord. He knelt before the Lord. But this young man came after the Lord Jesus not to deny himself. He came to validate himself and validate his life. He wasn't willing to deny himself. He wasn't willing to give up his life so that he might receive the one thing he lacked, the life of the Lord Jesus. The first simplicity of life is there is none good but one. That's God. We're not good. We've turned aside to our own way. We aren't righteous. The second simplicity of life is one thing thou lackest. And that one thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good news is that we can have the one thing. We can have the one thing that we lack. We can have the Lord Jesus if we are willing to deny ourselves and give up our life. Give up 
all of our efforts to save ourselves and trust him as our savior. It will take a complete surrender, a complete surrender to the Lord for us to be saved. We have to give up everything. We have to give up our life. And he'll give us the one thing we lack. His life is a free gift. This is how we get saved. And then we're ready to embark on the Christian life. But how are we going to do that? Isn't that complicated? We'll turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 38. And it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost not... Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not, not be taken away from her. This is a familiar account of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And as we read here, Martha was busy working. And her work was important. She was preparing a physical meal for the Lord. She was working for the Lord, if you will. And working for the Lord is very important. But there was another meal that had been prepared in that house. There was another meal that had been prepared and was being served. It was a spiritual meal. It was a spiritual meal that was prepared by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to enjoy that meal was to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. Mary enjoyed that meal. Martha missed it. And it's important to see why Martha missed it. Martha missed that meal because she was so busy working. And I would say again, working for the Lord. She was preparing a meal for him. That she could not take time to stop and sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. And notice what the Lord said about, uh, about Mary and about what she did. Verse 42. But one thing is needful. And, and you can draw a line in your Bible to those words to verse 39. Because that tells us what the needful thing is. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. There's one thing that is needful in living the Christian life. One thing. And that's our communion with the Lord. 
sitting at his feet, hearing his word. We do that privately as we get up every day and we get out his word and study to show ourselves approved unto him. We want to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. So we do that privately, but we do that publicly. We sit at his feet and hear his word privately. We sit at his feet and hear his word publicly, publicly, as we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We do that. That's what we're doing here tonight, by the way. We do that when we come to the place where he says he'll meet with us. The place that he's designated where he says if if we'll come, he'll be here in the midst. That's here in the local church. And there's a very subtle thing that can happen. A very subtle thing that can happen. We see it here in verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. If you look that word cumbered up, it means to be over-occupied. It means to be too busy. Too busy. But don't miss the word serving. Because when you look it up, it means ministry. It means ministering. So think about the message here. Martha was overoccupied. She was too busy ministering. And remember who she's ministering to. She's ministering to and for the Lord Jesus. But Martha was so busy ministering for him that she could not find time to commune with him. With him. She didn't have time to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. Folks, as believers, we must not let that happen. We must not let our work for the Lord, and our work for the Lord is important. it's, It's important. We can't overemphasize the importance of it. But we can't let our work for the Lord, no matter how important it is, no matter how diligent and how sincere we are in doing it, we must not let that take precedence over sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. We must not get so busy serving the Lord here at Calvary Christian School or on the jobs out here in the community where the Lord has placed us to serve. We must not get so busy in that that we miss the times when we can meet with the Lord. When he's here in the midst, when we can sit at his feet and hear his word. If you think about it, that was the problem with the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They were very busy people serving the Lord. Very busy people. 
They were trying those which said they were apostles and, and, and were not. And they were proving that they were false. They were patiently laboring for the Lord and not feigning. They were so busy in their service for the Lord that they did not have time to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. And the result was they left their first love. They left their first love. And you remember the remedy. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, the Lord told them, repent and do the first works. Repent and do the first works. I want you to go back to where you were at the beginning. And what was the most precious thing to you at the beginning? It was sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait to get to the meeting place. Couldn't wait to get to, to where the saints were gathered to hear the Lord speak. Sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. That is the fountain that ministry flows from. It's the fountain from which ministry is empowered. And when we leave that place, when we leave that one thing that is needful, we'll find ourselves exactly like the church there at Ephesus. Busy, busy, busy. But not anything that counted for the Lord. Now turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and look at verse 13. Brethren, Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul's words in verse 13. But this one thing I do. There's our words again. Many of you knew Dr. Carson Cox. And you knew him not only as, as a brother in Christ, but you also knew him as your eye doctor. I always used to look forward to going. It was worth going to Carolina Eye and going through their process over there. Um, Tanya used to work over there, and Gail and I'd be out in the lobby, and you'd get called back. You get called to this station, and you get called somewhere, and they dilate your eyes, and you go back out. And so I would tell her, We're in phase two, we're in phase four, we're progressing. But it was always worth it to go and go through the, the process to see Dr. Cox and, and visit with him. He passed away in 2014. 
And at his funeral service, his four daughters spoke about their remembrances of their father. And what they spoke about primarily was things that he had said to them as they were growing up that had made an impression on them. They were things that those girls wanted to remember. And one of his little sayings was, the main thing is the main thing. The main thing is the main thing. Dr. Cox's words came to mind as I read Paul's words here. But this one thing I do. The main thing, Paul says, is the main thing. That's what I want to do. Vance Havner had an interesting way of saying it. He said, the Christian life should be like a sword with one point, not like a broom ending in many straws. (laughs) The Lord Jesus talked in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22 about having a single eye, a single eye. And I believe the point of his words is that we need to have a, a singular focus, a singular purpose, our eyes fixed on him. Paul said it this way in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, looking unto Jesus. And when we do that, there are some things that will happen. One is we will we'll move on from the past. We'll move on from the past. I'm always struck by what happened when Moses died. The devil wanted his body. The devil disputed with Michael, the archangel, about the body of Moses. He wanted that body. Because he wanted the people of God to stop looking forward to the place that the Lord wanted them to go. He wanted them looking back on how things had been under Moses. He wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to divert us from this one thing I do, which is to forget those things that are behind. God has. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34, the Lord says, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 8 and verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In Hebrews 10 and verse 17, we read it again. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And so if God does not remember our sin, then why do we dwell on it? Why are we always looking back? The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That word fit means useful. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is useful For the kingdom of God. We're not useful for the Lord and his work here in the world. When we have our hand on the plow. We have our our hand on his work that he wants us to do. But our eyes are always looking back. 
when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are dead. Our life is, is hid with Christ in God. Old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Doing this, doing this one thing will keep us looking forward. It'll keep us reaching forward. It'll keep us from turning to the right hand or to the left. It'll keep us from being distracted. It'll keep us from being diverted from the main thing. The main thing, which is serving the Lord. The simplicity of life, there is none good but one, that is God. We're not good, we're evil. And when we understand that, when we believe that, then we're, will, we're ready to receive the message from heaven. One thing thou lackest, and that one thing is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we deny ourselves and we give up our life and we give up our works and our religious efforts, all of our attempts to save ourselves, and we call upon him, he saves us. And he gives us the one thing we lack, his life. We lose our life that we might receive his life. And that brings us to the simplicity of the Christian life. One thing is needful. Sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word, and that will keep us focused on this one thing that I do. Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The simplicity of life. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. And we thank you for these one things that we've talked about tonight. There is none good but one, and that's God. There's one thing that we lack, and it's him. It's his life. And he doesn't look on us with disgust and disdain because of our condition. He beholds us and he loves us. And he loves us so much that this precious word tells us that herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He's the one thing that we lack. And when we trust him as our savior, then he shows us the one thing that is needful, to sit at his feet and hear his word. And the one thing to do, the one thing to do, the main thing is the main thing, and that's to serve him. 
to be faithful, to press toward the mark, to be reaching forward and looking to serve you until you come. We pray that you might just help us to think about these things tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name.